This is August 11th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky. Hope you guys are having a great week. Uh, great to have, obviously, all the playoff games that we've had uh, over the past week. This past weekend, obviously, things not so hot for the Bruins. Uh, three losses in the three-round Robin games. Um, last time we spoke, uh, it was only one round Robin loss and an exhibition loss. And we thought, well, maybe, maybe the Bruins will correct themselves. And that obviously they got better, but they never won any games. Um, and now the Bruins head into the first round. We are at the first official round, even though I consider the qualifying round really a first round for those teams that were in it. But that's uh, the first official round. Uh, and it's Bruins Hurricanes, the rematch of last year's 2019, uh, Eastern Conference final, which we all kind of scoffed at at the time. And now uh, the Hurricanes look a whole lot more legit and a much more formidable opponent for the Bruins. So in this episode, uh, Mike Petralia uh, of CLNS Media uh, came on uh, to talk to me about uh, the series and about what the Bruins are doing wrong, what they should be fixing. We sort of went over everything. Um, you guys love Trags. I love Trags. And I know you love Trags. So that's all that matters. Um, before we get into the episode, sports keep coming back, and so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball has finally started this summer and is in full swing, and there's no shortage of ways to get in on the action. Also, the NHL odds are out. Your Boston Bruins, not looking too great for odds, but if you believe in them, I said this last week, if you believe in the Bruins, now's the time to bet that they're going to win the Stanley Cup. You will get the most back. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And a sports start to return, BetOnline has sat down with Eddie George from the NFL, Robert Ory from uh, the seven-time NBA champ, and Harold Reynolds from Major League Baseball to get their opinions on what it will be like playing without fans and what they have dubbed <laughs> the fandemic. <laughs> the pandemic. I just think that is the best thing. The pandemic. The pandemic. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. I also would like to plug this. Usually I always ask the guest at the end of the episode what they'd like to plug. I would like to plug something. And I think it's something that's all worth your while, and it actually benefits all of you. Um, Bruin CLNS is getting a YouTube page, uh, which I am extremely excited about. Trags and I talk about this a little bit at the end of the episode. Um, but it's basically going to be, uh, press conference videos, uh, behind the scenes stuff. Uh, you're going to have Q and A's with me and Trags, um, where, you know, you get to interact with us. You get to talk to us. I've, I've wanted to talk to you guys for so long and have a back and forth. We'll be able to do it over on YouTube. Uh, we'll also be doing live analysis right after games. Some nights, uh, we'll be having post game videos up clips of the podcast up. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of things with the YouTube channel. And to be honest, I am so stoked about it. Um, there's so many aspects of it that I find really entertaining. And I think you will too, because it's going to be so much extra content uh, for you to consume, for you to watch, for you to listen to, for you to critique. Um, I'm very excited about it. So when the channel goes up, you'll see it on my Twitter. You'll see it on my Facebook. You'll see it pretty much everywhere please go subscribe. It would mean the absolute world to me if you went and subscribed uh, to the channel and, uh, you know, watched our videos. That would be uh, very ideal. It would also be ideal if you subscribed to Bruins Beat and left us a, a nice five-star rating. That would also be very nice. Uh, but the YouTube page is coming along and it's 
it's going to be in the works within the next day or so. Um, so go and check that out uh, once you see it promoted. Uh, and without further ado, here is my conversation with Mike Petralia. <laughs> And we're here with Mike Petralia. Trags. What's up, Evan? What's up? <laughs> I think it's like it's a little been on. I, I'm just happy that there are games uh, that are back. Uh, not only the Bruins, but uh, the rest of the NHL. I think um, the Eastern Conference playoffs have been uh, actually fascinating to watch. The uh, Columbus-Toronto series was just uh, a thrill a minute. I mean, when you have – two teams blowing different three, nothing leads in the playoffs. And it comes down to a winner take all game number five. Um, I thought that was pretty awesome. Sunday night, the game was a little bit of a disappointment. I expected Toronto on their home ice to at least put up a little bit better fight. Uh, John Tavares couldn't buy a, oh. a goal if he had, you know, a ticket to the ocean and just said, shoot it off the deck into the, into the water. He couldn't. You hate to see it. I mean, that, that, that shot off the post. Really? Oh my God. And the funny thing is second year in a row, the Islanders have gone farther than him. And also (laughs) on Tavares was considering the Bruins would have been to a cup last year and probably won because that would have been some real secondary scoring that they would have had. And this year, you never know what he does for them. This year, I mean, just look at the situation. They're going farther than the, the Maple Leafs did. So uh, the Tavares angle is really interesting to me, how that's sort of taken shape and how he signed on with a team that literally can't get past the first round, now can't even get into the first round. Um, but, yes, the qualifying round was was so much better than the round robin, so much yeah. better. <laughs> and it was also just so intense. I mean, that was a playoff series. I know that, you know, we're considering this the first round, what's coming up. What just took place was the real first round. Sure. And I think, like, when a t- if a team from that, let's say the Carolina Hurricanes, which we'll talk about in this episode, goes and wins the Cup, it's not just four rounds. It was five they won to win the Cup. Well, right. And I know Bruce Cassidy said before Sunday's game um, against Washington that he's not a big fan of the round robin because it kind of diminishes – uh, what the teams did over 82 or in this case 70 games. Uh, and I don't blame them for that because you take a look at the way the Bruins were playing. Um, they were clearly the best team uh, in the NHL, I thought, before the pause. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they completely lost their mojo. They couldn't really get it back. And now they're kind of, I don't know if you want to say be, being penalized because they're the number four seed, because I, I do agree with Tuca. Uh, it's cliche, but you you do have to beat all of the good teams eventually to get to the cup final anyway. Um, but certainly, um, you know, in under normal circumstances, one of the big reasons you play uh, for the number one seed is for home fan, uh, home ice and play in front of your own fans. Well, that's off the board now. Um, you know, there is still the factor of uh, you get the last change uh, for the seven games, but, you know, it certainly doesn't mean as much. Uh, as it did when uh, before the pause. So let's get into this. So the Bruins lose all three round robin games. I would like to take a little victory lap. Last on last week's episode, I said it's time to hit the panic button. They played so bad against Columbus and Philadelphia. I knew it. I knew they were not going to play well against Tampa, and they were going to lose all three games. Pat on the back. 
to Evan Marinovsky. I will give myself credit on that. Uh, because those problems did not just magically disappear. Um, as, as some people thought that they might just do, they might just come out against Tampa and dominate. Um, but I will give the Bruins credit on this. They got better as the three games went along. They came back from two nothing against the Lightning. Against the Capitals, they dominated for most of that game, even though it was played like an exhibition. They still played yes. pretty well. But the real question, and, and you mentioned this with Tuca, what he said on Sunday night, in that it's time for real hockey. Real hockey, baby. What we were watching wasn't real hockey. It was a figment of our imagination. But no, it just wasn't real, the type of playoff hockey we're used to. And And they keep saying, you know, it's time to, to ramp it up. You know, these guys are going to get it going once the round, the first round starts. Does it feel to you that this team is just going to magically come out in game one and beat the bag out of the Hurricanes and put up like five goals? Nope. And I will tell you why. I just don't see the first line and well, the first two lines producing the way the first two lines of other teams produce. And I think that's going to be really their downfall if they don't get um, Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron and um, Pasta uh, getting into those high danger areas and creating scoring chance after scoring chance. I will tell you that I thought the last seven minutes, six minutes of the game on Sunday against the Caps, they were doing that. I thought Marsham was a different player, completely different player in the final minutes of that game than he had been. Uh, you know, the first two periods of that game, uh, and certainly the first two round robin games. Uh, I, I just didn't think, and I think, you know, certainly Bruce Cassidy would tell you the same, that that top line just wasn't there. They didn't really show up. They weren't uh, generating a lot of scoring opportunities. They weren't putting pressure uh, down low, deep in the zone. And those those are the kind of things that they have made a reputation on. And they got to start doing that. Uh, against Carolina in this round, or they're going to be done in one round. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned Marshawn. He didn't really look too great in the two previous games. But on on Sunday, I did think in that third period, as you said, he was much better at protecting the puck, much better with zone entries, little things like that that he's normally pretty good at. Um, He even got one to Charlie Coyle in front of the net. Coyle missed the net from the slot. I mean, so the thing, the the biggest issue to me, and what does scare me, um, and I think this should scare everyone, is – not just their lack of being able to score goals, because at some point they're going to snap out of it, right? But what, what's more disconcerting is, uh, yes, the high danger chances are going up, but the goal total is not going up. So you can get all these chances. They had 12 five on five on Sunday. So you had 12 high danger chances. Those are what you want. Those are what coaches want to have. And they got one goal. They got one. I- I guess my answer to that, Evan, is if you continue to create the high danger area chances, um, the goals will come. Oh, I agree. The problem with the Bruins in the first two games and against Columbus, you want to go back that far, they weren't, they didn't look like they were at all on the same page. They weren't cohesive, uh, their forwards and their defense. Uh, last year when they, when they made that run to the Stanley Cup final, what really impressed me were how the, uh, the blue liners and the forwards were in tandem and they worked um, synchronously. They looked great. They were uh, very much meshed together as one unit on the ice. First two games against Philly and against Tampa Bay, they looked like two different units. Like the, the defensemen were doing playing their own game, um, playing in the neutral zone or not playing well in the neutral zone, as Cassidy said about uh, the Tampa Bay game. 
And then the forwards were out doing their own thing, rushing uh, ahead and leaving, you know, the gap between the defensemen and the uh, forwards. And it just, it didn't look like the two were a cohesive unit. I thought yesterday uh, on Sunday uh, there was more cohesion. And I thought that that is the kind of game that the Bruins are going to have to start getting back to if they want to become uh, what they were during the regular season and what they were uh, late in the Stanley Cup playoff run last year. Yeah, so you mentioned that. I mean, I think what we need to do from these three games is pull out the bigger picture stuff. I mean, what's really going to follow them into the Carolina series? Um, Obviously, for number one, it's scoring. They have to score more goals. I mean, Trags, I don't know if you knew this, to win a hockey game, Yes. You have to have more goals than the other team, and you have to allow less goals than you score. Did you know that? Are you sure about that? Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's a pretty advanced statistics, but I do believe that is the case. Um, so the high danger chances and stuff like that, I mean, again, as it comes, it'll come. That Nick Ritchie chance in front of the net was god-awful. I mean, Jesus Christmas. Well, Watch that- that was actually two chances, right? Two chances. It was two chances. And I mean, I, I like DJ Bean's tweet. It was uh, Danton Heine would have put that home, which is true. I totally agree. Uh, but that's Nick Ritchie's bread and butter right in front of the net. Easy put in and completely just mops it. Um, again, maybe that'll come with time. So I'm not, I guess it's not something to be too worried about. It's more just like, what the hell is Nick Ritchie doing? Which I think we're going to have a lot more, what the hell is Nick Ritchie doing moments in the next coming weeks. Uh, we you're, shall you're see not, about you're that. You're not really high on number 21, are you? No, I'm not. And I need to see more. I mean, he's not kind. He doesn't really fit this Bruins team. I, he just kind of seems a little out of place. Uh, but again, he might work on that third line. It's going to be, it's going to come down to him or Coleman on that left side um, or on that right side, whatever cast he wants to put them on uh, over the next three rounds. What does scare me? And I don't think this is an issue that's just going to go away with time. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, Zdeno Chara. Zdeno Chara, and here's why this is impactful against Carolina. Um, Chara was not good in the three games uh, in the round robin. I didn't think he got any better. I didn't think there was a huge improvement. Um, obviously, there was the goal that Oshie scored. I, that stuff happens. That was stupid, but that stuff happens. It was the other stuff. It's the breakout passes. It's the flips off the glass that go to the other team. It's getting burned. It's things like that, and that's always been there, but Usually he covers up for it. Usually he finds a way. There was no covering up for it. I mean, yeah, he had, he had the lowest core C4 percentage of any Bruins defenseman um, in the three games. I know it's not the biggest thing in the world, but it's kind of an indicative stat to show that he's really not playing that well. Um, he's 43 off of four and a half months of rest, or abruptly stopping, I should say, uh, a few weeks of training camp, and now four games under his belt. And you are now going to be tasked with covering and trying to neutralize the Sebastian Ajo line, which had an insane series against the Rangers. I mean, this Ajo line, you are going to hear a ton about in the next two weeks. Why? Because they're dominant. Tuvo Teravine and Sebastian Ajo, Andrei Svechnikov. You know, Ajo had uh, eight points in three games. Svechnikov had five. Teravine had like two. Um, but this is an up-and-coming elite big three, kind of like your big three. Um, and... What's even crazier is they're all the same kind of type of player. They're all quick. They're all skilled. They're all shifty. What's one thing Chara isn't? Quick and shifty. And that is why you're, they're going to have to find a different pairing to put against that top line. You can't just rely on Chara to shut them down. What did they do, though, last year when they beat Carolina four straight games? 
Um, I believe it was Chara or might have been Carlo. Um, and I also don't think those three were together. I think they had Svechnikov on the third line, if I remember correctly. He was nowhere near the caliber of player he is now. They've all matured a year, which I think is really important. And Ajo is like dominating. So I don't think you can really compare the two because the lines were different and they were, they were a year younger, they had a year less of experience. And Char is a year older and coming off of four months of nothing or working out in Florida. So, um, I just, I, I look at that and I think this, this is, I think the time in which Brandon Carlo steps up and becomes their number one shutdown defenseman. I think last postseason we saw a little bit of it. I think this is the postseason where Carlo really, really, really becomes their number one shutdown defenseman. Uh, how did you think uh, Carlo, how, Evan, how did you think Carlo looked in the round robin? I, I, the reason Rusty. I am is Rusty. I, I don't I, think no, not, I don't, I didn't hear Andy Brickley or Jack Edwards talking about him uh, that much. And that's usually a pretty good sign that a uh, defenseman is doing his job. I agree. I didn't think Carlo was amazing. I thought it took a little bit of time. Again, as Cassidy said, it's the big guys, you know, who have take a little bit more time to get sort of used to the games and get back into things. Um, I just didn't think he was his normal self. There were a few turnovers. There was one, I think it was the Philly game. We had a turnover at the blue line that led to a goal. Um, I think he's, he's, he's young. He's someone I think who's going to get better. I think he's going to show up in that Carolina series. I don't really have a lot of questions about him. I didn't think he was their best defenseman. Uh, in the round robin, I thought that was Charlie McAvoy, actually. Um, but someone like Carlo, I, I, I think, is, is going to now step up. I also think his partner, Tori Krug, not normally a shutdown defenseman, but he is quick, he is shifty, and he is physical. So I think he's someone that also could uh, – who, who, who could also be solid against that Ajo line. You know what I'm thinking going into the uh, series against Carolina? I think the defensemen are going to have to step up offensively. I think they – and I think the Bruins uh, – have that capability to expect it from their blue liners. And, you know, I thought Connor Clifton was pretty intriguing yesterday. I know he didn't score, but he had some uh, terrific opportunities, especially early in that game. And I asked Bruce Cassidy uh, after the game about, you know, his impressions of Connor Clifton uh, jumping up into the play offensively. And when he answered me, I thought of what Evan Marinovsky always tells me. He's like, he said that uh, Connor Clifton is not afraid to jump into the action, but he has to be careful not to forget his responsibilities. What have you always said about D line about blue liners who jump into the play, Evan? You got you got to remember to play some defense on the back end of that. You have, but but it's part of the job. You got to play both ends of the ice, but you got to remember that you're a defenseman first. And I I just think it's important to the Bruins because they have come to expect so much offense from there and they become a much more dynamic offensive team uh, when they get production from their blue liners. And it doesn't always mean goal scoring. It can mean setting up a play. It can mean pinching up and having uh, your forward, you know, rotate out high and take the high spot um, at the point. But I think the defensemen are going to have to get more involved in the offensive flow of the game. That's something I thought that was missing in the first two games of the round robin. I thought it was uh, very much more evident uh, on Sunday in the loss to Washington. I, and I, Connor Clifton intrigues me because I think he can really bring something to the table um, that, you know, Brandon Carlo, for instance, or certainly Chara doesn't. So this is what, so I didn't expect to get on this topic, uh, but What's funny is you have Clifton who played really well. He's kind of reckless. He played really well in the postseason last year. When you kind of let Clifton 
do what he wants in a sense. Like, you know how you with a dog, you give it like an Invisalign fence or an invisible fence. Just don't give him a fence. You just let him do what he wants. You let him run up. Cliffy Hawk. You just, Make sure that there's somebody behind him or yes. has eyes on him at all times. Yes, yes. You, uh, he's, he needs to be supervised for sure. However, what's funny, though, is Clifton's played well. Grizzlick, obviously, you need as the puck-moving sort of zone exit and entry defenseman. Um, you know, Lazan look, has looked pretty good. I think if anyone was to sit, it would be him. Yes. Uh, oh, Clifton. But if Clifton came in, it would be Lazan. But part of me, and this is a little wild, so get ready for the hot take police to come in and lock me up with, with, with handcuffs and put me in prison. Hot take prison. But <laughs> I think about it, and I think, you know, Grizzlick played with McAvoy at BU. Krug and Carlo look good. Lausanne's sort of a safer defenseman. Clifton's a little bit more reckless. It's hard to put that in, in that that inexperience on the third deep pairing. If Chara is not effective in the first two games, because you're not just going to sit Chara. And by the way, I I don't think it's the right move. But part of me, there's a little part of me that's like, hmm, against a quick and shifty Carolina team, the idea of playing those six defensemen who are quick, shifty, young, responsible, have looked pretty good over the bigger, clunkier, older guy like Char. Now you need Char's leadership. So you can't, I mean, that's the thing. They're not, they're not going to do this, but there's part of me that's like, Hmm, that's not a, this is a part that makes a little bit of sense there. I'll tell you, Evan, it's, it's a question that. Everyone thinks it, but no one wants to say it. That's what it is. Nobody would want to even ask or broach the subject with Bruce no. Cassidy, but it's a fair, it, it is a fair question to ask based on the way Chara has looked in the first three games, uh, in, you know, throughout the round of Robin. It is absolutely a fair question to ask. You may get laughed off, uh, Zoom, uh, for asking it, or you might get blocked on Zoom, uh, going forward for asking it. I don't think you would, but, um, it is certainly a question I think that uh, deserves to be raised. And it's not like the Bruins don't have depth on their blue line. They have a lot of good young defensemen, like you've pointed out, who are very versatile, very shifty, very fast. And uh, I don't know how you feel about this, uh, Evan, but interchangeable. And you have a lot of in- interchangeable parts. Then you have Chara. And... Chara sticks out like a sore thumb right now. And look, we're not saying he's not a Hall of Famer. Obviously, he is the captain of the team. We all understand that. But at some point, he becomes a liability, no? Yeah. I mean, he's also 43. Like, again, his prime has passed him. He's had an an amazing career. I mean, growing up, he was my favorite defenseman to watch. Like, the guy is just – and when he retires, I already have the, the Zdeno Chara is Boston column, like all written. It, it is written. Like Chara is a, is amazing in every aspect. But as of late, and there were times this year where he looked slow and there, I mean, he's been slow for a few years now against a quick team like Carolina. And when you need to flip a switch, I don't know if Chara is going to be able to just flip that switch. Now, what you're losing is he is solid on the penalty kill. I mean, he can stand there and just wave his stick around. And be fine on the penalty kill. He's six nine. He takes up a fourth of the you know of the defensive zone. That is that is a part where you're going to lose. I mean, your your penalty kill is not going to be as good uh, with Chara not there. I mean, you're, if if you're gonna if you're gonna move in Clifton, let's say for Chara, you know, out of those six, so out of McAvoy, Carlo, Krug, Grizzlick, Lazan, and Clifton, 
defensive Carlo. defenseman there is your is Carlo. McAvoy right. can also play the can also go out there for the for the PK. Um, I guess you could put Grizzlick, you could put Lazan, um, but you're not going to have the effectiveness of Char on the penalty kill. But is it better to be able to break out of your own zone, be better in transition, be that better in the, the offensive point zone? About the blue liners, exactly, exactly. They can do both. Chara really is just one way, and I don't. And, and, and again, we're going to get some crap for this, but that's life. I mean, that's the truth. Well, no, I, I, I think a lot of fans look at it the same way. I mean, any Bruins fan who watched that game uh, or who's watched the whole round robin series realizes Chara looks old and slow. I mean, it just does. Yeah. And eventually, age is going to catch up. And maybe, you know, in this series against Carolina, he finds Tom Brady's fountain of youth. And, you know, and that is going to be the analogy that is going to be brought up in, in Boston sports talk circles, is that with Brady, he was the quarterback. There was nobody else who wanted handling the ball from and handling the snap from center. He ran your offense. That's not the case with Chara. You could sit Chara, and there are other players to take his place. And does Bruce Cassidy have the cojones to say, look, Z, we're going to sit you for, you know, one game and see how it goes. I'm frankly surprised that he didn't try to do that before the playoff round began. Uh, Because then you could get away with saying, you know, we want to get a look at everybody and see how they look together. Uh, but now with Chara, if you make that move, let's say the first or second game of the playoff series with Carolina, I think you start to put doubt into the minds of your teammates and maybe even Chara as to what is my role going forward. Yeah, and that's the, I mean, that is the part where, you know, do you lose your team? I mean, Cassie has no – problem sitting certain guys he has no problem sitting the younger guys he had no problem with Bacchus I think it's not the same well so that's the thing you don't want to lose the room you don't want to do such a a move that's so drastic that you overcoach that these guys are suddenly like wait you just took away our captain like we don't we don't have our captain out there uh Bacchus was different Bacchus wasn't there as long I mean Bacchus was so obviously not as effective um but the funny thing, the difference between Brady and Chara is Brady's standing back and throwing it. Chara actually has to move around and, 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 and do things of that sort, um, and takes hits all the time. And, and, you know, he's healthy, but, um, it is an interesting question to ask. I mean, I think a lot, as you said, I think people do think this in the back of their mind. Some say it, some don't. Um, I feel like we don't talk enough about Chara maybe being a little bit of a liability right now. Uh, but we certainly just did for that. Um, let's take turn a little bit positive. Because obviously things are not positive in Bruins land right now. And by the way, it's funny. I was on a radio show this morning. Um, humble brag. And they, uh, they, it's funny. They were like, you know, are we putting too much stock in the round robin? Like, are we going to, if the Bruins, you know, win the first, you know, if the Bruins win a round or get to the third round or whatever, are we going to not even think of the round robin? And I was like, you know, it's funny. I think if the Bruins even win games one and two, we're going to kind of look back at the round robin and go, damn, that was a weird phase, wasn't it? Uh, but if they lose, we're gonna. It's gonna be an extension of it. So it's, I feel like it's it's whatever kind of fits uh, the argument, so to speak. Um, but I want to know what encourages you with this team. That's a great question. Uh, I would probably say um, they're young defensemen and their ability to move. Still, their ability to move the puck. Um, I would say. Tuca looked good, not great, but I think he's only going to get better. Uh, and the fact that Tuca 
uh, is a playoff proven goaltender and can handle uh, big game situations and pressure situations. I like that a lot about this team. And, you know, Tuca has his detractors, but the fact that you have a steady, proven goalie uh, between the pipes, I like that a lot about this team. And the other thing I would tell you, uh, the power play is only going to get better. And eventually, you know, they the Bruins are good at drawing penalties. And I think that obviously any team is. But when the Bruins start skating hard and they're hard on the puck, uh, that's when they start drawing penalties. And I eventually believe, like you said earlier, uh, the goals are going to come. And I think that includes the power play. Yeah, so what encourages me is, number one, Charlie McAvoy. I think McAvoy, this is the postseason where he comes into his own. Uh, he really kind of takes that big step forward. Kind of like what Rensky's doing out in Columbus. I think this is sort of a similar postseason for um, McAvoy. He had the goal. I don't think it's going to be all offense. I think you're going to see him kind of really enforce that two-way game um, over the next round at least. Uh, what also encourages me, though, and I think this should encourage a lot of people, and, and, and I think it needs to be talked about, and you've kind of touched on it, was if you look, the, the offensive numbers are getting better. Aside from actually scoring goals, the numbers are getting better. They're getting more shot attempts. The first line yesterday, I think, was 21 to 4 in shots in chances for versus chances against. I mean, it was absurd. Um, and I think that, again, as you said earlier, the goals are going to come with that. That is, you don't just do all that and not score. Like they're going to come. They had 12 high danger chances for, uh, against Washington, six against the, against the Lightning, three against the Flyers. So they're getting incrementally better. So in some ways, Cassidy is fulfilling that idea of we're going to get better every game. Now it's really, can they get up to this level of the Hurricanes right off the jump in game one? Um, I think that remains to be seen. But uh, what, what I do think is interesting uh, about that goal scoring prowess is uh, it, it all comes down to line matchups. And this, com- this happens every series. The, the reason the Bergeron line was so effective against Washington was because they faced the Backstrom line, which is their second line. They didn't face Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, and Wilson. They, they, they faced the second line. That needs to happen against the Hurricanes. They cannot go up against that Ajo line because you don't want, you don't even want them to neutralize each other. You want to create a mismatch. You want, if you're Cassidy, with the way the, the shiftiness and the skillfulness of that Ajo line, you want to put the Corrali line on them. When Corrali and Wagner and Nordstrom go up against three skilled, fast, not very tough guys, they usually do well because they beat them with physicality. They beat them with, um, they beat them with shot blocking. They beat them with toughness and they beat them because you're not relying on any offense from that line. You're just relying on them to basically eliminate the Aho line. If you have the Bergeron line go out against them, you're going to neutralize each other. And typically that Bergeron line doesn't do too well against another big three. So what you want is the Corrali line to go against the Ajo line and then just create mismatches through the rest of the lineup, which we saw uh, last year against um, the Blue Jackets. We saw that you know time and time again during the regular season. What's funny is the Bergeron line did go against the Ajo line last year and completely shut them down. I don't anticipate that happening this year because the Ajo line is that much better. So I do think, and again, we're talking lines, line, 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 line. Your brain's probably in a pretzel, but I do think that Corrali line, it's been looking better. Put them against the Ajo line. And I think that is the route they need to take. People forget uh, last year's series, game two, how tight it was. Mm-hmm. And what I thought that game 
the home crowd had as big an impact on any game that they had throughout the Stanley Cup playoff run. And, you know, the first game, I believe the Bruins won something like 5-2. They were in control the whole time. It was 5-2. to two. Yeah, and it uh, was really not uh, very close. But that second game, that's where, to me, the series really turned in the Bruins' favor. And they were able to get out of Boston with that 2 nothing lead and go down to Carolina and finish business down there. Um, that won't be the case this year. And I'm just curious to see how the Bruins um, – manufacture their own energy and to manufacture own energy. Uh, and we've heard all of the teams in the bubble, uh, both bubbles talk about this, Toronto and Edmonton got a score. And I think, you know, and I asked Jake DeBrusque after the game on Sunday, you guys have not scored first in, you know, 240 minutes of hockey. You haven't had a lead in 240 minutes of hockey. How important is it going to be for you guys to score first? And he said, well, first of all, if we can get out, on top and get in front of these teams, it's going to make life a lot easier for Tuca, which was, I thought was pretty telling. Yeah. And what's funny is you mentioned the momentum shifter. I think it's a really interesting thing happening all over the NHL right now is you don't have the, the advantage of the crowd. You know, if you make a big hit, the crowd goes nuts. You know, the garden was as loud as ever with the Tory crew kid on Robert Thomas. Now imagine that hit with no fans. It would just be like sticks against the boards and the announcers going, Oh my God, you know, that's it. That would be all it would be. And there would be not a ton of fanfare around it. There's just the fans do add a ton. And, and if you're the away team and you shut the, the home crowd up, that's a momentum shifter. It's funny. It's interesting to me to see how these teams do get momentum shifters. I mean, you, you know, you had the Krug fight the other day, um, but these things don't have as big an impact. It's so much harder now if you're playing bad to then just do one thing to make you start playing good. It, 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 it's such an interesting dynamic. And I think the coach that figures out what exactly shifts momentum tangibly is going to be the one that wins the most. And I think, you know, that's something that where you do maybe need a fight here and there. You're going to need a lot more fights in this postseason. You're, you know, you're going to need, I don't know if the big hits do it because usually the big hit gets the crowd going or it shuts the crowd up. There's no crowd. You're hitting one person. You're not hitting the whole team. It's like you're going by the bench and just slapping everyone across the face. You're just hitting one person. Maybe you're hurting their confidence, but you're not hurting the rest of the team's confidence. So it is interesting to see how these teams sort of figure out the momentum aspect of things. Because I don't think that's figured out yet. I think they're just sort of going out and playing their normal game. Have the Bruins reached out to you? About they your should. Crowd they should. I should. No, I don't know why they haven't. The crowd noise suggestion is genius. Every just and, and it's funny. Uh, NBC had it for a little bit against the Flyers, where they had like the Flyer fans around, but they didn't play that. They didn't play the audio of it. Thank God. Um, they just had them just kind of cheering. You just saw silent. Yeah. Like the NFL did that at the draft, and I'm like, it, it just seems hokey to me and manufactured. Yeah. By the way, it's kind of – I feel weird because I put that on Twitter, and I feel like people who don't listen to this just saw that video and go, wow, that kid must be an absolute psychopath. Um, but but it's – A it, lovable one. A love – I try to be a lovable one. Uh, but it is weird, though, to me uh, that it's – well, you know, did you see last night or Sunday night, the NHL had the thank you fans sign, and then they cut to the camera, and it was four, like, actual fans – just placed in seats. It was actually pretty funny. It was in the yeah, star. No, of the it was pretty funny. Um, but it is weird that there's no fans. I, I still like find it very odd, but I think out of all the sports, the NHL 
and maybe the NBA are the best at having no fans. The MLB with no fans is really weird. Like, it's too quiet. The NHL, at least, you always have sound. You always have movement. You always have skates on the ice. Um, and, the, and, the, and the NBC, I just learned this. The N, I think I got this from someone, so I don't know if it's, like, 100% true. I was wondering why the NBC, on a, NBC Sports Hockey jingle – like bum 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 bum. Yes. I was wondering why that is always distorted when they cut to break, and it's to cover for swears because of the delay. They know the swears are coming, and because it distorts the audio, you won't hear the swears. So I guess that's the reason why it sounds like like that's why it sounds like that. I did not know that. That's what I heard. I don't know if it's one hundred percent true because I didn't hear it from like a, I heard it from like a friend. Um, but I but I think it's interesting. Sense. It does. It does make sense. I could see it. I mean, oh, but, by the way, who are we seeing in goal for the uh, Hurricanes? Are we going to see James Reimer? Reimer. Uh, no, Mrazek. It'll be Mrazek. I don't see them putting in Reimer. Last year it was Mrazek and McElhaney. They put that poor guy, Curtis McElhaney, in for game four. Um, and he actually didn't play that bad. But um, no, it's Mrazek. And it is a worse goaltending situation than the Bruins have faced. I mean, they faced Vasilevsky, Holpe, and Carter Hart. I think Carter Hart's the best of the three. Um, but I do think that the goals will come easier because the goaltending situation isn't as good. But they are deeper on defense. So I would watch that. Um, but yeah, so it's been fun. I like this. It's been a lot of fun doing uh, doing this hockey thing in games, August. Like, like you say, it, it's so much better to talk about actual games oh. and break down the games. It's so much better than like, the, oh, to think of the topics that we were doing in like April and May makes my head hurt. Like yeah. uh, there was one episode and it was funny. I thought it was cute and funny, but like Marissa and Jemmy and I did like top or like all decade Bruins irrelevant players. Like it was just like, we were grasping at straws, you know, to find stuff. Um, and I thought we did an okay job of it. Meaning me, I'm the consistent one. Um, so, but uh, I do think it is back again. Evan. Pat myself on the back for that one. But I do think it is so much better to have games and topics and like, what's so cool. And this kind of puts things in perspective. I, one of the things I was so excited for when hockey came back and maybe this makes me crazy was the ability to overreact. Think about it. For four months, all we heard about was coronavirus, race riots, like all these things. And now we get to overreact about a hockey game. Like, isn't that fun? We kind of get to go back to like what we normally do, which is like, oh my God, David Pasternak played subpar for a game. Should they trade him? Like that whole aspect of things is so fun for me to do. And I feel like it's nice or to should, have that back. Or should Zidane Ochara be benched? That's, I mean, that was a topic we talked about for five, ten minutes today. I mean, I, that, that's music to my ears. And people, you know, ripping us for it. God, do it. I mean, that's, that's, we've been missing it. It takes our minds off of maybe a second wave of corona coming through. So um, it's so much better to just pretend that everything's normal and just like tunnel vision on the NHL postseason. Because the postseason so far has been an A-plus in my book. Trags, before you go, I usually say, uh, what do you want to promote? What do you want to plug? Obviously, Patriots beat. But we have a YouTube channel coming. Bruins has a YouTube channel coming. You're going to be a big part of it. Um, I think it's pretty exciting. I think it's going to be pretty fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to be able to talk, obviously, a lot about Bruins, but not just Bruins, uh, the rest of the National Hockey League, and highlight a lot of, uh, on, in our videos, highlight a lot of our uh, 
takes on different personalities around the league. Because one thing I think that the NHL has done really well is build up a lot of personalities like Paul Misson that. Paul Misson that. <laughs> that commercial. I absolutely commercial. positively love that commercial. Or uh, the Martin Brodeur commercial. Yeah, I mean, they've done well. I mean, what's funny is, ironically they've enough, done that very well, I think. Because the NHL is the NHL, uh, McDavid, Crosby, uh, Tavares, Matthews, all out the first week. They're gone. Um, but th- I, none of them really have a huge personality except for Matthews. So it's not like they're missing, you know, somewhat loud guy. They still have Marshawn. They still have guys like that. Um, but you're right. I mean, the NHL, you know, with the videos, it's going to be more fun. We're also going to do some Q and A's, I think, which would be fun because I, I want to get more you know, you listeners, I want to be able to talk to you and get to know you and, and hear what you think and tell us to our face if you think we're idiots or we're extremely intelligent, which I happen to agree with the, the latter. Uh, but yeah, I think it's gonna be fun. It's all gonna be kind of taking place over the next couple of weeks. So the Q and A's and stuff will be coming later on. Um, there'll be like, I think there'll be a live podcast they're talking, CLNS has talked to me about. Like we'll do Bruins Beat live on YouTube, which will be fun uh, for people to sort of see in real time. Um, but yeah, so that's life and it's fun and everything's good and life is wonderful. So can't complain. Uh, Trags, again, thank you so much for joining. Uh, for CLNS Media, I'm F. Marinovsky. You, Bruinsby listeners, enjoy the games. Have a great rest of your week. 